I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is Jobmakers. An investment in immigrants is an investment in America. Immigrants are part of our communities, schools, companies, and they come here with a one-way ticket. When it comes to their entrepreneurial spirit, there's obviously tremendous value there. Semyon Dukac knows this all too well. An entrepreneur himself who was born in Russia, the early restrictive moves of the Trump administration, particularly the Muslim ban, prompted him to take action. So in 2017, he started a seed stage fund for immigrant tech founders, OneWay Ventures. In his 20 years of angel investing, Semyon had noticed a trend. Immigrant-led companies repeatedly outperform the rest of his portfolio. Indeed, immigrants make up less than 14% of the U.S. population, but started 24% of high-tech startups and founded or co-founded 55% of America's billion-dollar startups. But Semyon doesn't see through just the economic lens and views much of our immigration policy as inhumane and misguided, as you'll find out in this week's JobMakers podcast. Semyon Dukac, thank you for joining us in JobMakers. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about your current venture, One Way Ventures. One Way Ventures is a venture capital fund that invests in technology companies that are started by immigrants. And why do you think this focus on immigrants is particularly important? Well, it fits our uh, mission and sense of identity uh, in that we are all immigrants and we really believe that people should have the same opportunities to work, to create companies, to do whatever peaceful thing they want to do, regardless of where they have a been before, and regardless of what paperwork they might have. That's something we believe. And uh, we generally identify with other immigrants more than with uh, necessarily people, just people who came from the countries that we specifically came from. So we also believe in expanding our identity in that way. But specifically for venture capital, it, it's also uh, very lucrative to invest in immigrants. Immigrants are much more likely, although it's being equal, to build a really large disruptive business. And in venture capital, the returns to investors are often driven by uh, an outlier, like someone built something really big. Uh, so uh, over half of all the unicorns have been started by immigrants. Um, whereas only maybe a quarter of the, the early stage VC investments are invested into immigrants. So it's kind of a natural focus for us to pick for those reasons. It says on your website, 55% of million dollar startups are started by immigrants. And of course, we know that throughout American history, immigrants have always been inherently entrepreneurial. It's something I often say, which is that the act of migrating is itself an entrepreneurial act. And you have previously said that immigration is fundamentally an entrepreneurial experience. I want to get into your personal experience first. Your family uh, came here as refugees from the Soviet Union. Uh, what was that experience like? You were 11 at the time, right? Yeah, I was a kid. Uh, my parents, I think, did a pretty brave thing in that they left the country they lived in and went into a total unknown. 
they had very little information about the outside world, right? They and they also couldn't bring very much with them. Like I think it was about a hundred dollars to take a total that they would let you exchange, right? And then you give up your citizenship, you give up most of your relationships, right? You don't expect to ever be able to go back. So it's it's pretty amazing, really. Um, I'm very grateful to my parents having having done that. Largely, largely thinking of me and my sister and the life that we would have as a result. Was the move really for you and your sister to have a better future, a more secure future? I think that was probably the biggest part of it, yeah. But I think um, for my father in particular, I think he was quite, quite tired of a sense of uh, dishonesty, you know, lies that pervade society over there. I recently interviewed a journalist called Joe Napolitano, who's coming out with a book on refugee students and their fight to have good schooling and education. And she she had spent some time on the US border and saw how much education and opportunity was really such a driving force for even parents to send unaccompanied minors through the perilous journey to, to the US. Um, Tell me a little bit about what the experience was like as an 11-year-old moving to the U.S. What, 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 what was that like? What was going to school, learning the language? Yeah, well, first we were in Europe for some time. We were Austrian and we were in Italy near Rome for a couple of months. Uh, where Because we, we also had no papers, right? Like in the Soviet Union, they, they, took, they kept your passport, right? It was, you were basically renouncing... Uh, you know, your motherland, right? Uh, you were kind of viewed almost as a traitor, in a sense. Um, and so when you left, you had nothing, right? And so it took us a while to kind of establish some basic credentials, right? Identity uh, papers of some sort, and then to apply for a refugee status in the US and to be granted that. Uh, but when we arrived uh, in the US, it was in 1979, uh, we flew to JFK Airport in New York City. And um, were taken in by uh, one of the charitable organizations that, that helps refugees with a lot of funding from the federal government as well, I think. Um, we lived in the projects in New Jersey for a while. Eventually, my father got a job in Texas and moved to Texas. And then things started to normalize. But at the very beginning of it, I, I very much remember uh, my parents being scared, right? Like for me, it was kind of an exciting adventure. But I could also sense that how, how, how out of their comfort zone they were, right? And of course, the language, is, with culture, everything is super confusing. Um, I remember, like, the, right after the airport, we stopped at some kind of Burger King at McDonald's or whatever. And then my dad going in there with another $10 bill in order to get us all food, came back with, you know, four, four meals, right? And some coins. Because that's what you know. That's what it cost to buy meals for four people. The time was about ten bucks, but he, you know, he was like all white because he only had like a hundred. You know, he expected to get you know nine fifty change, right? <laughs> uh, so that was memorable. And then for me as a kid, I mean, there was plenty of um, violence, I guess, bullying. Kids that to be tough on other boys who don't understand the culture, don't know what to look at, how to act. Right, so I got into fights, I got beat up a fair amount. People often very much underestimate just how fast, particularly refugees, need to get settled and 
you arrived, uh, I would assume, before the formal resettlement program began in the U.S. And so what happens today is very different to how it was back then. But um, the kind of financial assistance you receive from the government would have been just for a few months. And your family really was forced to find some sort of stability really fast, right? Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, there were charitable organizations that, that shared in that burden of the assistance. Uh, I don't know how long it would have lasted, uh, certainly not forever, yeah. Um, it could have been more than six months, though. Uh, it's tough, right? Like, when you don't speak a word of language, um, it's not easy. Yeah. But eventually, you figure it out. So, unpack this idea of migration being an entrepreneurial experience. Uh, can you sort of get into the qualities or characteristics of a migrant or refugee that makes them inherently entrepreneurial? Well, uh, I mean, you're going against the mainstream, against the grain. It's not a normal thing to do in any society, right? To pick up and leave and go somewhere else is a weird, unusual thing, right? Like most people would never do that. And I think um, the analogy to entrepreneurism is, I guess, when you leave a job in order to create a company, uh, you're also thinking, you know, it's a lot of faith in your decision. It's a lot of uh, being willing to do the less safe, less obvious choice. And plenty of people will advise you not, in both cases, right? When you're starting your first business, people will say, don't, don't leave the job, it's like, be careful, right? And so they'll, Tell you, don't leave us, don't leave your homeland, don't leave your support networks. I think some people will probably feel betrayed uh, when you leave, right? I mean, you might leave grandparents behind, parents or whatever, um, friends, and they might not necessarily wish uh, success up to you. They might be hoping you'll fail and come back, you know? Um, which is one of the reasons it's so difficult to go back. Right, because you don't want to admit that they were right and you were wrong. And so once you cut those ties, you sort of you have to keep going. And then it's entrepreneurial that uh, you know when you get to where you're going, you just don't really understand how how the world works, right? Like you don't understand the culture, and often you don't understand the language. And so, um, in the same sense, when you start in some new little startup to try to to compete with big companies, you might have an advantage in some particular thing, but you don't really understand how their business works, how their market works, you know, what all the relationships are that affect the resellers, right, the suppliers, like there's many things you just don't know. And the only advantage is that you can move faster and you have less fear and less to protect, like, right, like that. The reason a startup can be the big company is that the big company has a lot more to lose. You know, so in the everyday decisions, they have to go careful. They have to please the existing customers. They can't just radically change the product. And they wouldn't be able to if they wanted to because they have so many entrenched, comfortable people doing things the way they do things. And when you're starting over, you can do a lot more. Likewise, when you come to a new country, you're not constrained uh, by the social strata, the social structures of your existing network. Yeah, it's hard to build a network from scratch, but on the other hand, uh, the sky is the limit when you're building it from scratch. People don't know anything about you. You're starting off. You're like a new person. Yeah. You're inherently a risk taker, right? 
Well, I think every entrepreneur is inherently risk taker. But in a place where you have to learn how to take the bus and tax regulations and yeah. all sorts of things. That's um, right. Prior to OneWay Ventures, you had started several technology companies and you were the director of Techstars in Boston. But OneWay Ventures really, from what I can tell, started out from a moment of activism, right? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I was already planning to be Techstars and start some kind of an investment fund, but I didn't really know what kind. And uh, I ended up going to the airport to protest at a moment where early in the Trump administration, uh, they uh, stopped people right in airports and turned them around because of, uh, because of where they were born, really not even their paperwork, not even their citizenship status, but just their birth, place of birth, uh, which seemed kind of unfair and arbitrary, you know, angry. And so I was out there jumping up and down, yelling with signs, which I hadn't done since I was in college. And that helped me realize that the immigration is just an issue I care a little bit more about. I take it a little bit more personally. Um, and it sort of clicked. And I decided to, to make it be the focus of the fund as well. So that, that particular moment sort of catalyzed this idea of supporting immigrants uh, in order to thrive. Uh, what has the experience been like so far with One Way, One Way Ventures? It's been great. You know, we uh, made a lot of investments out of our first fund. We raised the fund, we invested in about 50 companies. We had quite a bit of success and we were able to raise a, a larger fund uh, and continue doing so. I mean, the, we've, there's lots to learn about building a venture capital fund, but uh, one thing we uh, haven't labored on at all is this core thesis of, of backing immigrants. Um, in fact, I, I would say we are only stricter about how we define immigrants than we were in the beginning. Um, they see more and more you know, just how strong these founders can be. Have you, have you sort of witnessed firsthand the damage of the restrictive immigration policies of the past four years uh, when it comes to the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Boston? As, as someone who is an American citizen and has some positive feelings for the country I live in, it, it, it does concern me. You know, when, when America starts cutting back on immigration, you know, that's going to hurt America. Um, but uh, as far as, you know, one-way ventures, it's probably better for, for the fund if it's harder to integrate. Like, because our thesis is only stronger. The people who manage to get here anyway, if it's harder, are going to be even more likely to build a big business, right? It, uh, and while the world would be much more just if there was no borders and no visas, and people could just come, well, we would, this thesis wouldn't necessarily immediately generate good results, right? Because, you know, if anyone could come and it wasn't hard, then they'd have to find some other thing that people went through that was really hard in order to decide what kind of people to back. Because the, the fundamental thesis of people who went through a really hard thing are more likely to overcome the challenges ahead of them than somebody who had a relatively privileged and easy path to get to where they are, right? That's, that's the core thesis. I remember talking to Johannes Fruhoff, who founded Biolabs in Cambridge, uh, talking about, you know, it's not the people who, it's not the aristocrats who who migrate to other countries, it's people who have their backs against the wall, whether they take a plane ride or they cross a desert. We don't view ourselves as directly philanthropic in any way, like we don't, uh, it's not a consideration of ours, whether the, an immigrant founder needs extra money, needs extra help, which is just not what we do, you know, we, 
we just want to invest in the absolutely strongest people that are going to probably succeed, you know, without our investment. Uh, probably lots of people want to invest in their companies, and, uh, or if they don't now, they soon will. Um, and I would say our dedication to our mission and our beliefs uh, only make it uh, easier for us to convince these founders to accept our money, right? It's, it's really them who are doing us the favor most of the time. And the reason they're doing us the favor is that they like our thesis and they like our approach, and they know that we are genuine. Um, and so it, it works out in that way. Plus, we have a very strong network at this point. Like, we have a lot of portfolio founders who are willing to help each other. We have LPs who are investors in our fund who often are themselves immigrant entrepreneurs who had success or they're very friendly towards immigrants, so they immigrate themselves. And so there's 168 of those people, and most of them are very eager to help the people who are building their companies. Um, and they're doing it not just because they're tiny owners through our fund, they're doing it because they like our idea of helping people expand their identity and creating this like powerful mafia of like immigrant founders, right? That collectively is more successful than the, all the founders who were born in this country as a group, right? It's really the most successful group of all. Talk uh, a little bit about the kinds of companies you choose to invest in. I realize that it, it, it covers a range of different kinds of, of services, right? Uh, products more than services, but yeah, yeah sometimes services. Uh, yeah, but in general, it's fun, but pretty broad. Uh, it's generally some kind of technology because you need something that, that's defensible as you scale, as you grow. And mostly we look at the strength of the founding team, the market size, uh, unique differentiated IP or, or other business model differentiation, something that will, we believe will grow to be large and keep going larger, even in the face of bigger competition. We often hear that Boston has many advantages when it comes to starting businesses and growing businesses, uh, but one of them being that we have all these people from around the world. Um, could you explain to an American audience the real value of that kind of cosmopolitan workforce? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably the biggest value drivers would be the people who are actually starting the largest from the people who are investing and the people who will start big businesses. You have people like, like Elon Musk and Sergey Brin who really you know, build gigantic, incredibly successful companies who come here as immigrants. You know, that's probably the most like per capita value. But I would say the people who just come to work some job also bring value, right? Because they can do the job better and cheaper than someone else. And even the people, I would actually argue that even the the migrants who come without any education, the people who walk on foot from Honduras, like across the, the border illegally, um, and have zero education and have all kinds of other issues, you know, they'll probably consume some services in the very beginning just to get on their feet. But I would say they actually add tremendous value uh, in that then they're a very self-selected group. Like, you know, mo most poor people in Honduras don't walk 2,000 miles to get to the Mexican border. Like, you got to think about the people who, who actually do that. And, and uh, they're generally the ones with the most dedication, the strongest work ethic, right? But they're the ones, if you're going to hire people for some job that doesn't require an education, right? Those, I mean, I would hire those people in a second over, over people who didn't go through the journey, right? Like, they're pre-selected, they're pre-tested. They're the best people. So as a, as, yeah, America as a country benefits from a more open immigration policy. And I suppose it might benefit a little more from 
uh, encouraging the highly educated people who bring the value of the education with them and their culture, but it also benefits, I think, from the less educated ones and from the general diversity of, of the people who come. Um, but I just want to draw a distinction for your audience uh, in that um, I, I actually don't believe that uh, it's ethical or appropriate to um, to ask the question of to ask the question that you're asking, you know, whether, whether these people bring value to America, what kind of value they bring to America. You know, I haven't believed that they bring a lot of value. There's a lot of evidence that shows that they bring tremendous value, right? But I don't actually think it matters. Um, I believe uh, in this radical notion of, of equality of opportunity and universal human rights. I think that a lot of Americans, almost all Americans actually, theoretically believe in that same idea. This idea that all people are created equal, that uh, the random circumstances of your birth should not limit your potential. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but it shouldn't stop you from applying for a job or trying to start a business or whatever. It just shouldn't matter. Like, it used to be that if you were born with dark skin in America, you were automatically a slave for the rest of your life and you could never do anything at all that would be a slave, right? And today, almost no one believes that that's acceptable. Like, almost no one believes that, that you could limit job applicants to a certain race, right? Like people don't think that's fair or just. And I, I just see a huge inconsistency there because if you actually, if you truly don't think it's fair or just to, to allow a company you know, to only hire people of a certain race, then how could you possibly believe that it's fair or just to arbitrarily say that if you happen to be born on the, some side of this line, on the other side of the little river or whatever, you know, you don't get to choose where you're born any more than what color you're born. Like, you, you know, you just come into this world, right? How could that determine whether you can apply for a job and get a job or start a company in America? It, it shouldn't, it can't. So to get back to my uh, original point, uh, yes, the immigrants come here, bring value to America. And yes, America will be financially better off, economically better off, and culturally better off, really, uh, from the diversity, if it lets more people in and lets them in easier. There was a lot of talk in the past few years about uh, reducing family reunification, which is the cornerstone of our immigration policy generally, in favor of a skills-based system. I imagine I know what your thoughts on that is. Uh, our own research has shown that even for highly skilled professionals, social capital is actually the most important asset that they have in order to climb the ladder and to succeed. Um, how do you feel about the I, this notion of, of choosing people based on skills? Well, it would be just like if, in a, if instead of the Emancipation Proclamation, if Abe Lincoln after the Civil War was ending, uh, just said that, you know what, let's... Uh, uh, Let's free the black people who have particularly good skills in the cotton and whatnot. And, you know, let's start with them. And then maybe we'll, we'll also reunify some families. So if they have a sister or brother who's been freed, we'll free them. I would feel that that's immoral and wrong. I would feel that uh, you got to do the right thing. And, and those aren't the right questions to ask. So I really don't care whether you do it based on family ties or, or skill reunification. I, I, I think it's wrong to prevent people from crossing the border and from taking a job. And I think uh, saying, hey, these are our American jobs, they're not going to share them with someone else, is, is wrong and immoral. And I don't want to encourage that.
how do you feel about America as the country that took you and your family in? Um, how do you feel about America as a home for immigrants and refugees? Generally, more positive than most of the rest of the world. Like I think America has been at the forefront of, of letting people in, right? And historically, America has. I mean, there have been waves, right? And there have been periods of greater, and I could say, of greater freedom, you know. Um, but generally speaking, America has taken a lot of people in. So has Australia, so has Canada. America is not the only country that's done that. So has Brazil to some extent. And uh, generally, all of those countries have done well as a result. But America, particularly, I think, it, it owes most of its success to uh, the immigration policies of the last couple of hundred years, right? And some to the geography and a lot of it probably to the original ideas uh, of the founding fathers, which include the ideas I'm alluding to, right? Maybe not quite to that extent. Um, tolerance is an important idea here, you know, freedom of expression, the First Amendment stuff. Like there's a lot of things about America that make it attractive to people to come. But then the actual fact that people are allowed to come is also critical in America's success. So, yeah, I mean, I'm grateful to America for taking in my family, for sure. Uh, I'm also proud to be in America to the extent that America does these things. But I'm also still disappointed with America, like I am with most other countries, in that we're not yet at the level of, of uh, acceptance of, of others that I think is necessary. Semyon Dukach, thank you so much for speaking with us on JobMakers. It was really an honor to talk with you. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for the work that you do. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. I'm so happy that you joined us for this week's inspiring story of another immigrant entrepreneur, if you know someone we should talk to, email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. And please leave us a review. I'm Denzil Mohammed. Join us next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers podcast. Mm-hmm.